0: Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Well, guess what? Today we start a brand new series called Christmas Gifts. Christmas Gifts. And I want to talk to you today about our first gift. Uh, each Sunday this month, I'll be talking about a different gift that came through Christmas. And Today, I want to talk about the gift of abiding hope. Everybody say hope. Have you ever gotten a present and wondered what in the world is in that box? You shake it, you feel of it, you squeeze it and man, that was just something that you did when you were a kid. That We always went to Sherman, Texas for our Christmas. That's where my mother uh, grew up and that's where my grandmother was at. My dad's parents uh, passed before I was born. And so our family really uh, met in... Uh, sherman every year and mom and dad would load the back of the car down with all of our christmas gifts and then we would get to sherman and they would put them place them under the tree there at my grandmother's house on grand avenue in sherman texas and i can remember as a little boy going and looking at those i'd find the ones that had my name on it you know jimbo um Thank God I outgrew that, amen, at least in some people's minds I've outgrown it. And uh, I, I remember I would get it and I would shake it and I would feel like, what what is it going to be, What's gonna, what am I going to get on Christmas morning? And, and, and I remember one particular year I, I never could solve the problem of what was in that box and then on Christmas morning I was ready to open it, I was ready to find out and man I ripped that box open and it was full of socks white tube socks that's not what i wanted folks i didn't want socks i wanted a present i wanted a toy i wanted something i could play with and 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 it was a disappointment and you know i put that fake smile on oh thank you so much mother and daddy for the socks come on, what about matchbox cars or Legos or something like that? And, and you know, it's just one of those things that, that you don't really see what you're getting. I ov- obviously used those socks for the rest of that year for sure and probably longer, and they were something that I needed, but it didn't seem to be that way when I opened the box. You know, I think that as adults we are accustomed to being disappointed by the presents that come into our life. And I'm not just talking about Christmas presents, I'm talking about events that take place where we have built up our hope and we've built up our thoughts and, and, and when, when things happen, when we unwrap the box, it's not what we expected and it's not what we wanted. And, and many times that comes with great disappointment for for instance uh, you you told your wife that you wanted an iPhone you told your husband you wanted an iPhone uh, for christmas and, and 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 magically this box that seems to be just the right size appears under the tree and and then christmas day comes and and you open it and guys it's a it's nose hair clippers you, you... <laughs> women you open it it's eyelash curls, it's something completely different than what you wanted, but it's what you got. Well, I want you to know that this year, Jesus came to bring us hope. That's one of the great Christmas gifts that we have that we should celebrate, and that is the fact that he came and he brought us hope. Now the book of Romans says in chapter 15 and verse 13 I want you to listen to this scripture. It's on your notes. It's on the screen. I pray. This this is Paul praying for the church. I pray the source of hope will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then You are overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope. Now, if I were to guess, and if you were to be honest, I have a feeling that there's a lot of people that are listening to me today that you are not overflowing with hope right now. And the reason you're not overflowing with hope is because you wanted a toy and when you opened the box, it was something completely different. You, you, you thought that you were gonna get something, but it didn't end up that way. As a matter of fact, while many people are going about Christmas and shopping, uh, I, I know that there are some that are not looking forward to Christmas. As a matter of fact, Some of you are ready to kick 2022 out the door because it has been one of those years. Didn't turn out like you hoped it would. You wanted a toy, but that's not what you got. Maybe it's because you finished college this year and when you started looking for a job, there was no job to be found. You you, you wanted a toy, but life has not turned out the way that, that you hoped it would. And, and, and some of you were hoping that w- this would be the Christmas, that maybe there would be a child in your life and, and maybe a, a, an adoption fell through or maybe a, a pregnancy didn't take place or, or maybe even some of you are facing the holidays with the hurt of a miscarriage. But perhaps um, you were thinking about um, a loved one And and on Christmas, you know that that chair is going to be empty yet again, and maybe it's something that has happened this year, or maybe it's something that has happened many years ago. I was talking to my nephew, Christopher. He was at my house last night, and his dad, Daniel, has been gone for uh, 30-plus years, and he told me how much he was missing his dad. Wish I could talk to him one more time anybody know what I'm talking about you, you would give anything you could for just one more conversation and, and, and sometimes that lost loved one is um, the laugh that they had the, the way that they were when they were in the room it's, it's, it's not what you wanted maybe a marriage is failing maybe a relative that you're going to see in a couple of weeks is not someone that you want to see a, Perhaps your holiday is wrapped up in issues over um, custody of a child or what, what's going to happen. Or, or listen, there's a lot of people that at this time of the year just deal with loneliness. I, I, I wish that I could say that it was different, but the truth of it is uh, uh, we, we want a toy. We, we want what we want, but sometimes when we open the box... It is something completely different than what we expected. Something completely different than what we want. And and today, what I would like to do to talk about this hope is I would like to unpack a very unusual book in the Old Testament that I'm sure you have never heard a Christmas message before. It's First of all, it's in the Old Testament, which... We know our Bible is divided into two Testaments, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament was the law of Moses. and We don't live under the law of Moses anymore, but we have the New Testament, which is Jesus came and brought grace. That's where we live. And so a lot of times at Christmas, why would we go back into the Old Testament and, and why would we uh, talk about this story? And, and, and really, even at first glance, when we look at this story, it's like, How does that even apply to the Christmas story? It doesn't seem like it's important and and the family there doesn't seem like it's important, but just hold on because I believe that through this amazing story of Ruth, we're going to see the hope that Christ has come to give. Let's read in the book of Ruth chapter one, verses one and two. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, Le- Judea left his home and went to live in the country of Moab. So the famine is so bad that he says, we've got to get out of here. We can't live here any longer. And he leaves this land that God had given the children of Israel, and he goes to live in a land of uh, false gods, of pagans, of, of a religion that he didn't believe this was the country of Moab, and he takes his wife and his two sons with him. Now this man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons was Malon and Kilion. If you're looking for children's names, Malon, Kilion. And they were from Bethlehem in the land of Judea, and when they reached Moab, they settled there. So. We see this story start by a family that is leaving the land that has been given them, the land of promise, and they're going somewhere else. By the way, Elimelech's name translated means, I trust in God. So I don't know what happened, but uh, the guy that says, I trust in God, his name packed up and left the land that God provided for him. And, And then he's got his wife's name, Naomi, which is a beautiful name, and it means pleasant and sweet. And then, listen to this, the two names, Melon and Chilion, translated means sick and dying. Uh, I don't know. I I have no idea why they named their child that. Uh, That's not a name I would pick for my children. But uh, anyway, it's kind of prophetic because as this story unfolds, uh, actually by the end of the first paragraph of this passage of Scripture, Ruth, we find that the two boys have grown up. They've fallen in love with these Moabite women. They've married them in a foreign land. They're not, these women are not believers in the God of Israel, and, and, and but they're married. And, and then we get to the second paragraph and Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi a widow. And then the two sons die. So we are now with three grieving widows, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. And Naomi decides that Since Elimelech has passed, there's nothing to hold her in this foreign land. And the best thing for her to do is to move back to Canaan, move back to the promised land because she was a foreigner in this land. And and, and as she gives the news to her daughter-in-laws, Ophrah and Naomi, I I mean, and Ruth, they say, we're going to go with you. So they all set out and as they're on their trip, about halfway down the road, Naomi stops and, and turns around and, and she tries to convince them to go back to Moab. Girls, you, 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 you need to go back. You need to get remarried, go home. And, and Orpha, which is one of the daughter-in-laws, says, okay, that's what I'm going to do. They say their goodbyes. They turn around. Uh, we never hear from this woman again. She uh, made the decision to stay in the place of her grieving. She made the decision to return to the place where there was suffering and uh, she stays there. The other daughter-in-law whose name is Ruth insisted on going with Naomi. I want you to get this in the midst of this story. Here is Ruth standing here and Naomi is trying to convince her to turn around and she makes a decision. Everybody say a decision. She decides, I'm not going back to the place of my grieving. I'm not going to stay in the place of my loss. I know that I don't understand what's in front of me, but I will not go back. I am going to go forward. And the thing that I love about Ruth, and my son Benjamin and I talked about that this week, is that she made a decision that I'm going to go forward. And listen to the words that she says to Ruth, uh, to Naomi in Ruth chapter one and 16. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now, just a beautiful covenant that she's making at that moment. And and, and I want you to understand that many times when we're at that place where we have to make a decision to change our life, we have to make a covenant to say, not only am I going to use words to make this covenant, but I'm going to give my life to it. I'm going to make your people my people, and I'm going to make your God my God. And I know that there are some people that you're in the midst of trying to make a decision about your life. And I would just encourage you, find the people that you need to be with. Don't don't stay in the place of your grieving. Don't stay in the place of your loss. Don't stay in the place of your issues. Find the people that you need to be with. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Now, one of the things that we're really going to be pushing here over the next few six to eight weeks is small groups. It's important for you to find the people that you need to live life with. Ruth made up her mind. I would rather be with Naomi than stay in the place of my loss. I don't know what tomorrow will bring, but I'm going forward. And I would just encourage you, find a life group to do life with. I I was talking to one group today or or, a part of a group, and they've got a big trip planned over the holidays. And I thought, that's what it's all about. Spending time together, loving one another, praying for one another. And and, and I just want to say this to all the men in the house. All the men, raise your hand real quick. Next Saturday morning, we're having a breakfast at the League City campus. It's going to be at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be speaking. Come and be a part of that breakfast. Let's meet together, pray together, find people to do life with. So Ruth and Naomi, they take this trip to Naomi's hometown and her hometown is Bethlehem. Here's our first clue that this is an important part of the Christmas story, and Bethlehem is not a very big village. As a matter of fact, it's still to this day not a very big town. It's just six miles outside of Jerusalem, and and, uh, at the time of Naomi and Ruth, when they returned, it was a small town, and And and, and you know that there was a lot of talk that was going on. Is that Naomi? Has Naomi returned to town? And here comes Naomi, the one whose name means pleasant and sweet. And and, and I just see them coming up to greet her. and, And listen to what she says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. Don't call me Naomi. You know what she's really saying? Don't call me sweet. And don't call me pleasant. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. Mara means bitterness. She says, I went away full and the Lord has brought me home empty. I, I wanted a toy, but that's not what I got. So I'm not happy about it. And I don't want to be called Naomi anymore. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? and the Almighty has sent such tragedy on me, and I can just stand here right now and just in my mind just condemn her. How dare you talk about the Almighty like that? I can't believe your attitude, but the only problem is I've been there. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody ever been to that place where you say, why me, God? Why did this happen to me? I I, I wonder if you can see the expression on her face. I wonder if you can see the sadness in her heart. She says, I wanted a toy, God. And look what I got. My life has not gone the way that I want it to be. And so as you read this story, uh, you, you might think that Naomi's story is basically a story about loss. If we stop right here, then Naomi's story is about losing her husband. Her story is about losing her sons. Her story is about returning to a land and she's lost her land now because it belonged to Elimelech. It's a story about loss. But here's a question that I want to ask. Does our story have to be about the losses in our life? or can we make our story about something different? I picked up this little book several weeks ago and it's called A Grace Disguised. It's by a guy named Jerry Sitster. Jerry Sitster was a great Christian, worked for the Lord. As a matter of fact, he gave his life to work on Indian reservations to reach the native people of America and on one particular night, he was there, and they stayed a little longer than normal. And, and he finally gathered his family together, and they left. And as they left the reservation and going back home, he said that he saw a car coming from the diff- another direction, and it was weaving, and, and we tried to avoid it. But the car came across the road, hit them head on, and there was a tragedy. Although he was not injured, his mother who was with him was instantly killed. While he was not injured, his wife who was with him was instantly killed. And while he had three children, two daughters and a son, the son was severely injured, the oldest daughter struggled with life and he worked for over an hour to try and revive her and keep her alive and she died three generations in a moment wiped out taken away from him and and in the book he gives us this story of the journey that he went through of loss and depression and sadness and grieving and 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 the subtitle is how the soul grows through loss. He, he, he wrote this book and in, in one place, there's so many incredible quotes in here, but in one place he says, the experience of loss does not need to be the defining moments of our journey. I've got it here in your notes. That quote is so powerful. The experience of loss does not need to be the defining moment of our story. Now, now it's one thing for me to say that. I I can give you that quote, or I could say it from up here. It's a completely different thing for him to say because he's gone through it. He's been through it. He, He left the reservation that night wanting a toy, wanting the gift, and what he got was something that was completely different. But in the journey, this is what he says. The defining moment can be our response to the loss. It doesn't have to be the loss itself. It can be how we respond. And, and, and listen, he didn't choose this role. This, this is not what he wanted for his life. And, and we really can't choose the roles that we play in life either, can we? There, there's many of us that, that haven't chosen to play the part of a surviving spouse or an injured individual, or a divorced person, a divorced husband, or a divorced wife. We we haven't chosen those roles, but sometimes when we open the package, (laughs) that's the role that has been given us. And while I may not be able to decide what role, I can decide how I'm going to play that role, and how I'm going to react. Is your story going to be defined by the loss, or could your story be about something else? Could it be about something different? And I know it's really hard, because we tend to get focused on what's right in front of us, and and we open up life, and we're disappointed. It's not what we hope for, but but here's what we're going to see in the story, because at this point, Naomi's life is just a write-off. It's a loss, but But it's not, because if you had one word that you could use to describe the story of Naomi and Ruth, it would be the story, it would be the word redemption. Will you just turn to your neighbor and say redemption? And this is what we find, that when they get to this place called Bethlehem, that that Naomi and Ruth have nothing. And and Naomi says, Ruth, you're going to have to go out and, you're going to have to find us food. And, and so Naomi goes out, Ruth goes out during the time of the harvest, and, and she's walking through the field behind those that are harvesting. And, and, and there was a law in the Old Testament that there was a certain amount of the food that was harvested that they just left on the ground. and they left it on the ground for the people that needed something. They, they needed help, needed food. And, and this is what Ruth is doing. She's actually walking through field picking up the leftovers, picking up what's left. And she did it because she wanted to eat. She had to eat and and, and there's something that happens while she's out working in this field. She gets noticed by the last main character of this story of the book of Ruth and it's a wealthy single guy, never been married and his name is Boaz, the owner of the field. And this is what happened. Boaz takes notice of her and the Bible tells us in Ruth 2 and 3 so Ruth went out together behind the harvesters as it happened she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz the relative of her father-in-law Elimelech she didn't even know that they were relatives she's just trying to survive to make a long story short Boaz notices her he likes her He befriends her and she goes home and she tells Naomi, look at all of this food that I have. Where did you get it? Well, this is what happened. Boaz told them to leave extra for me. And so we've got a lot of food. And Naomi, as a good mother-in-law does, says it's time for me to play Cupid. It's time for me to see if I can arrange something here. And listen to what she says in Ruth chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath. Listen, this is advice for Ruth in this situation. But I'm just going to say this is just good advice for everyone. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go out to the threshing floor. Don't, don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go uncover his feet and lay down there by his feet. And he will tell you what to do. Now, I I want to tell you something right now. This is not a seduction. This is not her trying to be sinuous. or This is her sleeping on a threshing floor, which is not a romantic place. So this is what would happen. They would harvest the grain. They would then take the grain to a very special place called the threshing floor and they would beat the grain until all of the shaft was gone and all that was left was the wheat. It was a dirty, it was a dusty place. There was a lot of work going on. And at the end of the day, they would have this wheat left. And, and instead of just leaving the wheat at the threshing floor, the men that had worked there would sleep during the night to guard it. And so she goes in. There's all of these men sleeping. And she finds who, where Boaz is, and she gets down beside Boaz, lays at his feet, and, and she's, she's there in a situation where she is just ready to be noticed. Now I also want you to know that at this point, Ruth is about 40 years old, and Boaz, most people, or most theologians, say that he's between 70 and 80 years old, never been married. And, and, and this is what happens. In verse number 8, suddenly around midnight, he wakened and sat up startled that there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he demands. It is I, sir, Ruth, she replied. And you're talking about boldness. Listen to this next sentence. Make me your wife according to God's law, for we are close relative. And listen to Boaz's response. Thank God for a girl like you, he proclaimed or exclaimed. For you are being even kinder to Naomi than before. Naturally, you'd prefer a younger man, because of course he's an older man, even though poor, but you have put aside your personal desires. Now, don't worry about a thing, my child, talking to a 40 year old woman, but of course, being 70. Everybody's a kid when you get at a certain age, folks. It's just, it's just the way it is. Look at those kids over there. They're 50 years old with kids of their own. And I'll handle all the details for everyone knows what a wonderful person you are. I want you to understand a couple of things about this passage of Scripture. First of all, culturally, Boaz would not have proposed to Ruth because he is an old man. He doesn't think that Ruth would be interested in him. You can see that in the wording of the uh, the scripture there. But what we find out in this is that Boaz is a relative and he becomes the guardian redeemer. So we talked about redeemer. Now let's talk about the guardian redeemer. That's what he's called in the book of Ruth. And you may have heard it used this way, the kinsman redeemer. And I want to explain that to you, if you'll stay with me for a few minutes. In the garden, uh, when we talk about a guard, guardian redeemer, if someone fell into hard times, lost their life, their land was then given to a close relative. This is in the land of Israel during the Bible times. And the reason was because God gave them this land as part of their promise. There was tribes that settled in a different part and God gave them different parts of the land of Israel and to make sure that the land stayed in the hands of the family, the land of whoever had died, had gone through a hard time, went to a relative. However, the relative had the option to either let it go to someone else or to redeem the land. But when he redeemed the land... He also took the family that was left of the person who died and they became part of his family. That way, any of their offspring, their children, would inherit the land. It was a way to keep the land in the family. I know it sounds strange, but that's how God set it up so that the people that he had given this promise to of a promised land could keep the land for as long as could be. It would never go to another tribe or another family. And so Boaz comes along and he's saying, I'll take the property of Elimelech and I will take responsibility for Ruth because he also had to take her in, take Naomi in. And and I want you to understand this is no small sacrifice or this is no small act of kindness. And, And especially, listen to me, when you consider that Ruth is not even of the children of Israel, There's no blood relationship. Elimelech is gone and his son is gone and she's not a product of the children of Israel. She's from Moabite. She's been raised as a pagan. She's been raised serving false gods. I know she's made a conversion. I know she's told Ruth, your God will be my God, but think about how she must have fit into that culture. Not very well. And he says... I'm gonna take responsibility. Listen, Boaz is saying I will love who no one else will love. And I will care for who no one else will care for. I will redeem Ruth who no one else will redeem. I will be the guardian redeemer. And this is where we see why so many people talk about Jesus is like a Boaz. Because Jesus loved us and redeemed us when we were unlovable. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Friends, do you know what I'm talking about? When I was unlovable, Jesus looked beyond that and loved me. League City, do you know what I'm talking about? When I was unlovable, he loved me. There's a lot of people in our life that are Seem to be unlovable. We see them all the time. I, I I have a physical eye problem. I had surgery on my eyes when I was just a young man, right when Nancy and I first got married. And and during the surgery, they overcorrected my vision. My left eye I'm blind. I can't see anything in my left eye. Uh, it's just very blurred. A right eye is better. It's uh, completely functional, but I, I have bad vision in that eye also. So a lot of times I'll go into place and you may see me in a restaurant or somewhere and you'll see me just staring at you. It's not because I'm being rude. I'm trying to figure out, is that who I think it is? <laughs> and, and and I have problems, but you know, I also know that in my own life I've had Spiritual blindness. Has anybody ever suffered with spiritual blindness? I'm going to tell you what I mean. I went to the Philippines for years and I saw children on the street that needed rescuing, and I never understood it until a moment when God opened my eyes and and, and called me to love people that were unlovable. And I I just want to take a moment and say how much I appreciate Life Church for, for having a Boaz-like vision in this world for loving those who others wouldn't love, for, for caring for those that, that others wouldn't care for, redeeming those who are beyond redemption according to the world around them. And, 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 and this is why I believe that God continues to bless our church and will continue to bless our church is because we keep blessing others. And I want to thank you for the legacy offering. If you haven't had a chance to give, you can give. You can go to life.cc. You can go to PushPay. You can give to help support those orphans, to help other missions that we're doing. And I'm thankful that we are opening our eyes just like Boaz did because Boaz falls for Ruth and he has a plan to redeem her. Listen, I'm coming to an end here, but in the 13th verse... Of chapter 4 this is what it says so Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife when he slept with her the Lord enabled her to become pregnant again this is a miracle that is taking place and she gives birth to a son uh, you know she wanted a toy and, and then it, it wasn't what she wanted but but she didn't give up on it she kept digging into life and and guess what happens as she continued to dig in to what life had given her? She, she ends up not with a story of loss, but a story that is beautiful. A story that was awesome. I, 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 Boaz comes along, I, I'll take responsibility. They have a child and, 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 and here now she has a baby that she's holding in her arms. Why would Boaz want to redeem a foreign woman like this? And why in the world was he still single at 70? Well, I have a little clue. and Perhaps you'll recognize the mother's name of Boaz when I speak it here in a a moment. I I want to remind you that there was a time that the children of Israel were trying to come into the promised land and, and there was all types of battle and they were facing Jericho and two spies went in And guess where these spies ended up staying the night? They stayed the night in Rahab, the prostitute's home. And they gave her an out for the destruction of Jericho. They said, when it comes time, lay out a scarlet cord out of your window and you will be spared. And that's what happened. Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute was spared in Jericho and she ends up marrying into the children of Israel and she has a son whose name is Boaz. So perhaps when Boaz looks at Ruth, the Moabite, he remembers how some people treated his mother and says, yes, I'll redeem her. I'll bring her into my life. And, and maybe that's why he never got married in the first place because he had been rejected by women in his own area because he was different. And, 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 and even though she changed he was a part of her life. And, and when I think about this story, and, and when I think about how the Christmas present was opened and it wasn't a very good present, then, then everything was bad from Ruth, for Ruth and Naomi. But, but then over time, as they kept digging in the box, it was better than they could have ever imagined. And, and I, to tell you, I want to say something here, and I want you to listen to me. Sometimes you don't get what you want when you look in the box. Sometimes it could be addiction. It could be abuse. It could be death. It could be loneliness, loss, unemployment. It could be a broken marriage. It could be pain. It could be infertility. It could be cancer, divorce. That's not what I wanted. I wanted a toy. But before you give up and before Naomi and Ruth gave up, they just kept digging in the box And as they kept unpacking it, they find this guardian redeemer. They kept unpacking it, and Naomi gains a grandson. and, And she thought it was all over for a family, but here now the future will continue. The grandson will inherit the land that Elimelech let go when he died. And I want you to see the last picture that we have of Naomi Ruth chapter 4 and verse 17, the neighbor woman said, Now at last Naomi has a son again. They didn't call her Mara, they called her Naomi. And listen to what they named the son, Obed. And Obed became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. So Naomi's great-great-grandson is King David, Ruth's, great grandson is King David and and now if you flip over to the New Testament and you start looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew this is what you're going to see you're going to see the name Rahab you're going to see the name Boaz you're going to see the name Ruth you're going to see the name Obed you're going to see the name David because this is the family tree of Jesus Christ And one day Mary and Joseph were living in Nazareth and there was a decree that came from all the way from Rome and it said, go back to the home of your lineage for a tax, for a census. And even though Mary was well with child, Joseph loaded her on that donkey and they made their way to a little town called Bethlehem. So Naomi, I know that the first part of that box didn't seem very good, but if you keep digging, you dig all the way down to this incredible birth of the Savior that changed the course of the world. What a Christmas gift. So if you're listening to me today and, and you've unwrapped the box and you don't like you see, what you see. Here, here's what I want to say to you before you give up. And I know sometimes it's hard not to give up. Keep digging in that box. Make some decisions like Ruth did that I'm not staying here. Everybody say, I'm not staying here. One more time and all the campuses say it. I'm not staying here. I, I, one more time and say it like you mean it. I'm not staying here. Because this is what you need to remember about the box, about life and about what it gives you. There is a author and finisher of our faith whose name is Jesus Christ and the story is not over yet. Loss doesn't have to determine my future. My response can determine my future. My hope I know a lot of you don't think you can even make it through the Christmas season because of what you see in your life. But through Jesus Christ, our guardian and redeemer, you can. Jesus came to bring hope. That's why he came. And he's the one who knows what loss you've had. And he also knows the finishing of your story. He knows that your response will play a heavy part in that. He, he even told those that were around him one day in Matthew chapter Luke chap, uh, Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 through 30, "Come to me, all you that are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke. It is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. And he meant it. And he's the one that can bring hope to you this Christmas. Can we take just one more moment and just look at the birth of Christ. The gift of Christ. I mean he's born in obscurity. He's placed in a manger. And and in this manger is hay. There's animals there. And there's everything that goes along with animals. Fill in the blanks. And, and the children of Israel didn't get what they wanted in Jesus. They wanted a dictator. They wanted a conqueror. They wanted a, they wanted a warrior. They wanted to overthrow Rome. And they get a babe in a manger? and then the disciples are following him and and he said follow me i'll make you fishers of men and 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 throughout the discourse of the gospels you hear them urging jesus come on let's let's take this let's 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 conquer this let's let's become let's overthrow and they didn't get what they wanted as a matter of fact on the last night they had with jesus while he was alive before his crucifixion they fled because They didn't get what they thought was coming to them. Mary, who the angels appeared to and and, and who who loved Jesus and watched and and, and did everything she could to support him. Think about that last day as she's at the cross. She didn't get what she wanted. The Bible talks about how Jesus looks down and sees her and turns to John and say, John, take care of her. And, and Mary, now you have John. I'm not a part of this anymore. And, but when we keep digging in that presence of Jesus Christ, when it seems like a loss, and when it seems like everybody has deserted him, I'm glad to proclaim this morning that the tomb is still empty and the gift that I received is so much greater than I could imagine. I didn't get just a good teacher, and I didn't get someone that just did miracles. I got a Redeemer who saved my soul, who caused me to move from the wrath that is to come and redeemed me. And that living God wants to be your God right now. Will you stand with me? All of the campuses stand. I'd like for the prayer team to come down. That living God wants to be your God right now. Prayer team, come down. I I, I wanna close with this. Naomi and Ruth made a decision. Everybody said made a decision. And this is what I would say to you today. If you've opened the box and it's not what you thought, If you've unwrapped the gift and instead of the things that you were hoping would be in it there's a lot of sadness grieving and loss then make a decision even today make the decision like Naomi and Ruth made that says I'm not staying here I've got someplace to go and I've got something that God wants to do in my life And I pray that everyone in this place today would make that decision to take a step towards the hope that Christ has for you and the story that he is writing about your life. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, the other campuses, the praise team is coming. They're going to take it over when I finish praying. And here in Houston also, I'll continue after. Will you just pray with me? All of the campuses, close your eyes, bow your head. Lord, I just thank you so much that even when life seems to give us things that we don't want, you see us, you know us, and you walk with us. I'm thankful, dear Lord, that even when we are lost, Even when we are undone, you are on a rescue mission to save us. And even this morning, dear Lord, you're searching and you're pursuing someone. Someone who is listening to my voice today is making a decision. I'm not going to stay here. I'm not going to stay in my addiction. I'm not going to stay in my hurt. I'm not going to stay in my problem. I'm not going to stay in this place of grieving. God, you have something for us. And I thank you for the gift of abiding hope. And I thank you that you're calling us even today. Let someone that is listening to this message, someone in League City, someone in Friendswood, someone here in Houston, that today be the day they make up their mind. I'm going to the front, I'm praying with somebody, And my life is going to be changed. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said amen.